Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Hensky, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, where incarnate memories prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Imp Nation, welcome back! Yeah, it's been a while, but this one's worth it. You're going to love, love, love my guest today, AP Anthony Poindexter in the Imp House. What's up, my man? Oh, man. What's up, man? It's good to be in the Imp House. It's oh, been my a long God. time. It's been it's, too long. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Holy cow. Great to see you, man, too. I was telling him before we got on, I'm so annoyed that he looks the same as we did back in college while the rest of us get gray and, you know, you can't see, he can only see my head. But the, I, I, all my head. So hey, look, I, I can't raise oh, out. Okay. Thank God you got like the, the, the lacking of hair. Cause we just, I was just looking at you as a body of perfection, man. So that's no, I, I'm not bald headed. I, I just cut it that way. I, I oh, you just, oh, so you're trying to make me feel good. That's what you're saying. <laughs> you're trying to make me feel good. Instead of head. Oh, you suck, man. You suck. <laughs> oh, my God. Cool. All right, AP. So you're going to take us back to the beginning. I don't want to keep I don't want to make this all about sports, but sports played a huge role in it for you. So yeah. what was going on in high school? I know you played like 17 sports in high school, like 58 positions, like you know, like football was your worst sport. But just like take us through what was going on in high school and that how it, that led to UVA. Well, I mean, quite honestly, in high school, I played baseball, basketball, football. And what a lot of people don't even realize, like my, at the end of my 10th grade year, I almost quit playing football altogether. Like I was, no, it was right before my 10th grade year. It was my ninth grade year. I was like 5'9", I'm 150 pounds. And I was, quite honestly, I, I felt I was better in really baseball, you know, and I was getting into the basketball thing. And I went to my basketball coach for all people. I'm like, no, man, I'm thinking about not playing football. And he was like, that'll be a mistake. You need to, you need to keep playing all the sports. I'm like, okay, all right. So I end up, you know, obviously kept playing. I hit a growth spurt in the 10th grade. After my 10th grade season, I grew. I went from 5'9 to 6 foot. I gained 20 pounds. And then that's how the ball really got rolling. You know, obviously I kept playing baseball and basketball. I ended up getting drafted out of high school in baseball. But I'd already signed to come to Virginia. My mom did really, and my mom and dad really wanted me to go to school. But the reason I went to Virginia, the main reason, is my best friend in high school, Ryan Gillen, who signed to go play at, you know, at Virginia, signed in December. I mean, well, he signed in December. I had to make my decision in February. And we had always said growing up, we was going to the same college. He was going to play baseball, and I was going to play football. And, you know, after he signed there, it really kind of relieved the pressure from me. Like, it was like, I'm going there. But then when I went on my official visit, it was the last visit. You know, Paul London hosted me. 
I was around Sim Willis, you know, all those kind of guys, Crocker, all them guys. And me and Shannon Taylor were roommates on the visit. <laughs> so we get back to the room after that first night on going out. We like, man, we coming here. We coming here. And then, I mean, it, it was the best decision I never made. I tell you, you know, you're lucky. It, that sounds like a recipe for disaster on that recruiting trip with the, every with you guys together. That could, that that could. Oh, was, I mean, it, it was me, Shannon. It was I forget who else was on that visit, but we had we had it, it was so genuine. Like the players were so genuine, and like I was scared, man. Like, I, I was scared as hell. Like, I come from a little small town, man. I really want a party here. I really want you know, a go out guy kind of like that. And it was, it was big to me. It was so big, it seemed so big. Now I went to visit to Tennessee. I went to North Carolina. I went to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech would have been the most comfortable pick because I had two high school teammates go the year before. A lot of my high school went there. But again, like I say, my, my best friend was going there. Me and him had always, it was, it was just like, man, we can make this happen. And, you know, again, it was the best decision I ever made. What was going on with the whole baseball thing, right? Because you did have your body was matching more baseball than football at that point before you had that spurt. So what was going through your head? I don't know. Like, I honestly, just because I didn't grow up with a lot of money and we, I, I, I did my own contract at 17. I had no clue about nothing. I asked to do for a hundred K. He's like, what's it going to take you to sign with us? Florida Marlins. I said, you give me a hundred K, I'll show up anywhere you need me to show up. Like not knowing like 100K ain't that. I ain't know about the tax man. I ain't know nothing. And my mom was like, nah, I, I just never forget. She was crying. Like, I'm like, she like, no, you can't do this. You, you ain't ready to be no man. So again, I, I ended up going to school and, you know, the rest is history. You know, I still love, I love baseball, you know, and they asked me to play in college, but I, I'm, that was just too much, man. Way right. too much. Yeah, that's too much. Like, you know, it's it's amazing because today's kids are encouraged to specialize and play one sport really early on. Yeah. Yet in our generation, we played two, three sports, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I watch it every day. You know, I'm coaching now. So I'm watching guys, man, they train year round for football. I'm like, man, don't you get tired? Like lifting weights like I never lifted in high school I never touched the weight never did man like I'm like I went right to basketball and then in February I played baseball from February back to the start of football season every year and like now I'm watching kids they train parents going crazy like buying a trainer like I'm like hey if it take all this to play a sport and to be good at it, I don't know if I want to even, I'm, I'm good. Right. Think about it, right? And it's also from not only mentally, but physically, right? You're using the same muscles over and over and over. That can't be healthy. And you're not cross-training different muscles from different sports. No, and, and look, I, I just look at it like you meet so many different, like the baseball team was different than the football team. Like you had different guys on the team. The basketball team was a little bit different than the football team. The football team obviously got more guys, but you got a chance to interact with different dudes, be close with different guys. And, and you know, I just like different. I, I like getting out of one and playing the other. Like, I really, if I had my choice, I really wanted to be a basketball player. I was okay, but I won't like college okay. But that's the one you like, man. If I could really play basketball, I want to play basketball. But I, I just like the changing of it, the different teammates, the different coaches, and just the different games, though. 
you know, baseball, a lot of people don't like baseball. I, I mean, you know, because it's slow, but baseball to me, like poetry and motion. Each play different. Each, I mean, and all the sports are, but, you know, you got to hit this little ball coming at 80 to 90 to 95 miles per hour at you. You got to catch it when it come out in the outfield. But, you know, I just really like. So let me ask you this question. You get to UVA, right? You've already been drafted to play baseball, right? You turn that down. So in your mind, you had to be thinking, okay, I'm going to be a professional athlete. It's just pick the sport, right? And so you decided to go down the football lane. In your mind, were you saying, okay, great, I'm going to go down this lane and I'm going to be a pro football player? No. I'm telling you, man, like when I walked into the locker room, I never forget, man. I saw Augustino. Augustino was going bald, man. I'm like 17 years old, just turned 18. I walk into this locker room. These dudes gigantic. And I look at a dude, and he got, he going bald. So I, I get on the phone that night. I'm like, Mom, I'm up here with grown men. The dude, the dude got a bald, like he balding. So I'm here. I'm scared. I'm scared shitless, man. And, you know, you got Charlie Way in the locker room, you know, Mike Grow, the quarterback, you got Sim Willis, you got all these guys that I've seen on TV, you know, Sharp or Ferrier. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to make a make headway here? Then I get hurt day four at on, on campus. I get hurt. My damn, my cartilage, I tore my cartilage. I tore it in high school and it flipped up and I couldn't undo it. And so I go to Abington, Virginia to get a surgery with Doc McHugh. All the way to Edmonton, man. Yeah, I know. My sh- both of my shoulders were done by McHugh. Yeah, I love that guy. So he had once a month he would do surgery in Edmonton, Virginia. He like, look, you can't practice. You might as well ride with me. So we hop in the car, me, him, and this the doctor he was training. They drive me all the way to Edmonton, Virginia. I stay in somebody's house. I have no clue who these people are. This before cell phone too. I couldn't even really call my folks. They don't really know where the hell I'm at. I have a surgery in Abington, Virginia. So I'm coming back. So doc do all the surgery. He do me first in the morning, get me all ready to go. So we get ready to drive back. He's like, man, anything you want to do? I said, doc, man, can you swing by my mom's house, my mom and dad's house so I can see my folks? He like, yeah, we'll do that. He takes the car. We on uh, 460. He veers off, stop me by my house so I can see my mom and dad. So we leave that. He like, anywhere else you need to stop? It's Friday night. So I'm like, Doc, all my buddies hang out at the McDonald's down here. Can you drop me by there? <laughs> he like, oh, yeah. Come on. Tell me that's not true. Come on. The real story, man. Doc stops me by the McDonald's where I normally hang out on a Friday night with my buddies. I see everybody. I get in the car. And I'm telling you, that really, like, made me comfortable. And I was like, all right, I'm ready now. I'm ready. Like I'm, I'm ready to, once I rehab, I'm ready to play. Oh my God. Like I just needed to see like my home again. And I'm like, and me and doc were like this, man. We and what the people, and what mo- a lot of people who aren't athletes who are listening to this podcast, they don't know that Dr. McHugh looked like, uh, was it Ray Orbison? That, right? <laughs> yeah, Roy Orbison. <laughs> right, right, Roy Orbison. right, right, right. So like, <laughs> I can't even imagine they're like, with the two of you walked into McDonald's, people are like, oh, man. What, what is up with that crew? <laughs> and then, you know, like, when I was playing there, me, me and him, like, if I got hurt, like, I got hurt another time, I got injured. 
So he's like, come on, man, look, we're going to go down to your high school and watch a, a game. So me and Doc go to my high school, watch a game, pull up in the end zone with his white Cadillac. We eat, me and Doc eating hot dogs. That was my dude, man. Doc McHugh, man. Lord, man, I love that man. Oh, he was great. And you remember he used to, he used to videotape the surgeries. So in that room that you were talking about that you were covered in, that wasn't in the hospital, it was in, I, I don't know if it was his house or somebody's house. You, his house. Right. Do you remember you had that, like that recliner and you looked at the oh, side yeah. and had all the VHS tapes of all the people, athletes he did surgery on. And you see, yeah. I think there was like Bryant Stiff was one. And you're like, holy cow, this guy's done a lot of surgery. And they, and they, like he had never done the one I had. And this man studied for two weeks before he put a knife on. <laughs> and he, called, he called two doctors from Florida. Like it, I had like a game day atmosphere in my surgery when I got hurt. It was packed in there. I'm like, and you know, I'm halfway doped up. I'm like, man, what the, who the hell are all these people in there, doc? And I'm talking to him like, I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> oh, oh Lord. God. He you was gotta love dude. that guy. He's so oh, man. Great man. Let, let, let's like go back. So like your first year, you're just in awe of everything that's going on, yeah. right? You're living in the first year dorms like the rest of us who are, right? Yeah. So like, tell me, take me through anything you remember from that first year. Man, our first year dorm, like, so my roommate was was Ryan G, Ryan Gillen. So me and him rooming together. So I get so the uniqueness of this is, you know, in which a lot of people don't really think about it, but like. Ryan white, I'm black. And we, we like brothers. Like, so any any person that came by, like the football team knew that was my main man. So they took care of, they see him anywhere. And I would, conversely, I would go to the baseball, like I go to baseball house, go to their park, whatever. And we kind of became like that freshman year. Like we, I kind of crossed over into the baseball world because of him. He crossed over into the football world as so much. Like, the football dudes would go with me to the baseball game. That was before Virginia baseball. Like, everybody remember, like, seeing Virginia baseball now. Won't nobody come into the games back when, when we was in college. No, Dennis uh, Mullen or whoever the coach was. Coach was coach. Yeah, yeah. They had that little, like, little league concession stand. Like, it was maybe 10 people in the stands. And I would go up there, and they were still playing on that damn Astro turf on the infield. You could see the damn football numbers on it. And... I mean, I would just go up there and the boy would be like, hey, man, you going to see G? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to see G. And, like, so we bring football guys up there. And um, so that freshman, yeah, man, it was just kind of like I was getting to know people on both ends. I was kind of starting to understand who I was. And, like, I couldn't change. Like, I, I dudes were coming from all over. They had different styles, you know, like Brooks from Newport News. Him and Rob Hunt's suite was next to mine. Brooks was, like, you know, inner city, you know, hard nosed, like really want a friendly person, like until you got to know him in his early days in college. Then I had Jermaine T. Wilk. They lived in old dorms. We were in new. So our freshman class kind of B time was in the old dorms. Like we kind of our freshman class kind of hung together all the time though. We had Shimon, we had Chuck Preston, we had, I mean, we had all these dudes, man. We all hang together. And we created this bond, man, like a real brotherhood bond that first year. And, like, to this day, man, like, we, like, best, best, best friends. Even if we don't talk for a long time, man, like, we, like, just best, best friends. And, um, but that freshman year was kind of like that. You know, the ball kind of 
the season after I came off the surgery, I kind of got back. I was on the scout team, had fun doing that. But I was thinking to myself, because Coach Welsh, you didn't stand on the sideline if you was redshirt. You sat in the stands. And that first damn game I sat in them stands, I'm like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing this ever again. I mean, I was embarrassed because, like, you know, you had to sweep. You talking about, yeah, we're on the four-hour team. And then they looking at you. Like, ain't you on the team? I'm like, yeah. You know, we, we all sitting in the stands like some slaps. I remember that when I got hurt, too, and I'm sitting in the stands, and you feel like, not like a fan. You just feel like yeah. a, like, yeah. Right. And, uh, and but it, it, that's another thing, though. Like, I'm thinking in my brain, like, okay, this won't happen next year. I'm going to be definitely playing next year. Like, I'm going to. So, you fast forward, go to spring ball. I get hurt the second week of spring ball. Same injury. In spring ball, got to have another surgery, like another scope on my knee. Now I'm starting to doubt myself, like, am I, am I injury prone? Are they looking at me? Am I injury prone? But I think I showed them enough where, like, okay, this dude will play. And, you know, I really got my break to sit that next year. I was a backup safety. Percy Ellsworth, Paul London were the two starting safeties, great safeties. You know, I kind of got my break sharp or get hurt against William & Mary, like the second game of the season. I never forget, man. Coach Lance called me in the office like, hey, you want to play linebacker? I'm like, I'm going to start? He like, yeah, you going to start? I'm like, yeah, I'm there. And I'm 195 pounds. And that's really how my career got going. You know, I, you know, I had great stats the next three games when Sharper was out. I think I had like 10 tackles, 10 tackles, 15 tackles down in Clemson. We beat them for the first time on the road. And then we come back, we playing um, – I never forget it, man. We playing Wake Forest. Sharper back, ready to play. So I'm like, still gonna play. Bench my ass. I really didn't play defense until the second half, man. I ain't get on the defensive field until the second half. I was pissed, man. I was playing special teams, but I was pissed. And I ended up having 16 tackles that game. But it basically was all in the second half. We beat the hell out of Wake Forest, so it didn't really make no difference. But it taught me something, though, like, George Wells taught me, like, man, you can't lose your, your job to injury. But I did get a chance to show what I could do. And then you fast forward until when we playing, we went to Texas. Uh, Skeet Jones called himself going to the Million Man March. That was the first year of the Million Man March. <laughs> so yeah. he misses practice. Don't even go to the Million Man March. He just missed practice. So I got a chance to start at Texas. So, again, I have another good game in Texas. We lose on the last second field goal. Then we coming back to play Florida State. And Coach come in the defensive meeting room that, that, that early that week, say, you know what? We changed up the scheme. We're going to go to a 3-4. And it was like, Dex, you're going to go wherever work done go, you're going to go to that side. I'm like, all right, money, boom. So, I, you know, so kind of that's how my career really got started. It, I owe my whole career to Charlotte. If Sharper don't get hurt, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm going to play a little bit, bits and pieces, but I don't think they're going to know exactly who I, you know, who I was as a player that early in my career, you know? You know, it's interesting as a coach, I've, I've coached at a high school level, not at your level, but I remember always telling the kids, you just got to wait for your opportunity. And when it hits, you got to take advantage of it, right? right. People get hurt, stuff happens, kids become academically ineligible, Stuff happens and you just got to be ready because when your number gets called, you got that shot and you either go in and you perform and you could keep it or you can go in and not perform and then maybe not get that second look next time it happens. 
Yeah, I mean, like, that's just life, though. You got to be prepared, man, like, when your opportunity hit, you know, and you got to just assume that it's going to come at some time. It ain't going to come when you always want it, but it'll happen, and you got to be prepared. So, you know, I love playing football anyway. So that that was, like, I practiced hard. That, that was always, like, anybody that played with me would say, man, just do a practice. Like, it won't know – and we no jab dicking around like me. We went out and it was like game day for me. Like we put it on because I went fast as a, a lot of guys. So I couldn't rely on Rondé Barber speed, Tiki Barber speed. You know, I had to rely on like I was just tough. You know, I could read it and react and stuff like that. So but yeah, I, I, I mean, if you just prepare yourself when your opportunity comes, you'll be ready. You'll be ready. You never know when it's going to come. I'm in that profession now. Like kids, it's hard for them to, I mean, this generation different because it's so much instant stuff they can do. Get on your iPad. You can look at this instantly. You can buy this instantly. You can do everything kind of like microwave. Like, so in, in this generation, it's a little bit harder to tell them that because now they just transfer. They ain't waiting. You ain't going to be waiting and sitting behind, you know, dudes ain't going to sit behind Percy Ellsworth now and wait their turn, you know, right. but. But it, it's mistakes, though. Like, you, I learned a lot from Percy. Percy taught me everything that he knew that it got passed down to him. So, in turn, any safety they recruited behind me, I told him the same stuff. Like, I'm trying to prepare you for when you start. You ain't going to beat me out, dog. I'm good. I'm going to tell you all the information. You just ain't going to do it like me. <laughs> right. Percy was a good dude, right? He's a good awesome. guy. Awesome. And I, I, I end up being in the pros with Percy a couple of times. And same deal. Like, Percy just taught me everything. Like, you know, he won't never scare for you to take your, his job. He was more, you know, he was confident in himself, like what he could do. And why wouldn't I teach this young guy how to how to do it and how to do it right? So, I, you know, nowadays, like, a lot of guys scared to even teach you anything. And so while you're at the university, I know you guys had the, uh, we were all eating at Bryant Hall, the athletic department uh, dining hall. Where else did you like to eat when you were around grounds, when you weren't eating in the dining hall? Man, my favorite spot, you know, Wayside Chicken was one. Wayside was the spot. Awesome. And I used to love males, man. I would go down to males down. Nice. We stayed at males, man. Like, that was our guy. Do you have a go-to meal there? Man, I'm a hamburger steak guy. So he was with gravy and onions, mashed potatoes, and string beans. I, it's to this day, when I go back to Charlottesville, I go, I go see males. That's great. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and, um, you know, obviously feel like the corner we hit, we would hit him up. And, and you, know, you know, our late night spot, which ain't there no more, which is sad. You know, uh, Little, John? Little John's, man. Yeah, that's right. I would have kept, kept that going, man. How did, how did someone who's super wealthy not come in and just keep that around? I don't know. With all the money that gets donated to the university, you're telling me we can't funnel some of it to Little John's? Come to on. Little John's. It's, it's like the monuments there, like like Lil John's in the white spot. Like they like monuments. How you gonna let Lil John's go? I'm like, that that was like our spot, you know. And every now and then, people gave us free food. You know, I know it was illegal, but we ain't have no money, man. Like we we just. But I tell kids nowadays, man, you like if you just be good to people, man. People try to help you out. You try to help them out. They try to help you out. Yeah, I used to at the end of the night try to find like a like a Doug Smith, Chris Havlicek, 
Corey Alexander, somebody like that, because I knew wherever they were going, they were getting a free meal and I was tagging along with that one. So if I could just find one of those dudes, like, or Ted or somebody, I'm eating for free. (laughs) And then, you know, obviously, you know, the spot was the Biltmore. Yeah, right, right. And all the football players were like, were uh, bouncing and bartending there. I want to say Mike Frederick was, I think Freddie was, and like, uh, I was Ryan Keel. The strip coach at Virginia, he he was the bartender there. Mike Curtis. Mike Curtis. Mike Curtis, that's the strip coach at Virginia now, was the bartender at the Biltmore at one oh point. God. While he was playing. So who was, uh, who was the strength coach? It was uh Coach Gamble, right? But Gamble, when I signed there, Gamble was the strength coach. And then when I when I got there, um Gamble left. We had a dude named Eric Fears. Right. Then when Fears left, we had a dude named Barry Johnson. Fears was mean, man. I seen him fight and play in the damn locker room, but I was scared as hell, man. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Do you remember? Yeah, playing talking back, talking cash to him. He like, what you say? And he dove into the locker on him. I'm like, oh hell, man. I'm like, like that was the biggest difference for me. Like in college, like it was like grown man stuff. High school, man, ain't nobody do no stuff like that, man. You ain't talking about coach, not like that. And definitely the coach won't go at you like that. But I mean, I'm like, mm. Right. So I, I mean, and that's when you could get away with it. We would, the, the, the assistant coaches would play with us in like inter-squad like scrimmages or when we were just like at the end of practice. And you would have like legit fist fights. Oh, yeah. 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 And it was like, okay. It wasn't like, okay, the coach like just – hit one of our players, now we're going to, like, fire him or put him in jail or something. No, it's no, like, no. We're, like, we're going we're to celebrate him and give him a raise. <laughs> yeah, well, nobody going to say nothing, neither. Right. Like, going, to, going to administration saying coach did this, like, we dusted it off, everybody got back on the same page, and we kept moving. Right. Oh, my God. That's too funny. So, okay. So then when did you realize this football thing was like a legit thing for you? Like, where did you like, I mean, you were just killing it. But like, at what point did you say, okay, this could be next level stuff? Well, like after that freshman year, man, you know, I had a really, you know, I got freshman, all American. And um, I'm like, okay. Then after that sophomore year, after my sophomore campaign, like agents started to call, like, then I'm like, okay, I must be kidding, you know? And I, but I had to, like, I just tell guys, you gotta stay humble to it though, man. Like you really never know what's real, what's not real. You know, you gotta let your, your, your work say it all. Like I, like, I was gonna say, man, I don't give a damn. I'm, my play gonna say, hey, man, y'all need to do something with me. Cause I, like I say, man, I'm, my biggest fear was like, you have to go run a 40 for somebody. Like, I better have some hell of a tape because my 40 ain't going to blow their socks off. You know, right. it, it'd be okay, but it ain't going to be like like Rondé's was, you know. But I think, it, I'm like, if it's tape right, I'll be good. So that's that was my whole thing. And I thought off my sophomore year, I'm like, I got a chance. And then really after that campaign, uh, right before I go to my junior year, I'm out at Playboy All-American. I'm out there with Peyton Manning, Dante Culpepper, Randy Moss, I mean, Javon Curry, I mean, you name it, Ricky Williams. Like, it was a who's who of college football. I'm like, uh, I must got a chance, man. You know, you're out there on, a, on an All-American team. Dre Bly was there. Um, 
I got the picture at my house, man. Like a lot of like all pros. Heinz Ward was on that picture. Me and Heinz Ward flew out on the same flight out of Georgia together. Like, you know, I was like, okay, you got a chance. You got, I mean, I, I knew I had a chance if I kept playing the way I played to do something. Like, I don't, I ain't know how high I would get. You know, um, Charles Woodson was on that one. You know, I, I mean, you just named it. They was there. Jeez, that's a who's who, right? Yeah. But, you, and the funny thing, man, they knew who I was. Like, back then, there no internet. Like, you had to actually watch TV and, and catch a highlight. Like, you, I knew who they were. They knew who I was. Everybody had respect, you know, for you, what they'd seen, you know. So, I mean, that was cool. And, you know, after that, I was like, man, you know what? I got a chance. And, you know, we had a good time out there. I was able to go back my senior year, like right before my senior year. So I was a two-time uh, Playboy All-American, you know. So it was a unique experience, which I had never experienced. I mean, I'm sitting by the pool with Peyton, Archie Manning, Eli Manning, and the other brother sitting at the pool with him. Wow. You know, I'm, I mean, and then so the next year, I didn't realize Peyton was dating Will Thompson's sister. That's right. That's right. So me and Peyton come to town. So I meet him up at the, uh, one of them frat houses, man. I'm like, I need to hang with Peyton Manning more often, man. We sitting in this corner, man, and people just rushing the strings. Like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, I'm like, dude, you the guy, man. And look, I had a little status there at that point, but I ain't have Peyton Manning status. <laughs> well, look, everyone wants to know, is Peyton Manning really funny in real life as he is on yeah. the commercials? Nah, he funny, dude. Like, he, yeah. Like, he, he got a, a really good sense of humor, man. You know, and, and, you know, obviously, Terrence played with him for a long time. T. Wood played with him for a long time. Um, you know, when every time I was around, I mean, it just, I mean, you think about Peyton Manning back then, he was like Tom Brady. He was he was like Tom Brady in college. Like, this dude was the end-all, be-all. Like, he was, and obviously, his career panned out that way, but this dude couldn't move nowhere. And he, he actually did have a great sense of humor. He was very humble about things. You know, he, he was always a great guy. So then what happened your second year when you had to declare a major? What did you say you wanted to do? <laughs> like, what did you what did you pick? Man, look, I picked anthropology. I was just taking, look, I, I didn't have a, a great academic background when I got there anyway. Not, not that I didn't go to a good high school or whatever, but, man, my mom and dad went to all black high schools, man. So C's were good. Like, you just don't bring no D's and F's in the house. Um, but my, my parents' education stopped at high school. My brother was the first on my mom's side to go to college. I mean, I ain't really, look, I struggled with reading my whole life. Like, so I was in special reading class in first grade through, through high school. So you get to Virginia, man, and you get that kind of work thrown at you. It was like, man, I can't. So, you know, obviously, like like everybody on that, we knew the guts to take. What's that uh, one that everybody took? Whatever's the by, one. By psych. By Wait, you want me to keep going? How things work. Yeah, wait, yeah. Wait, wait, you want me to keep going? Modernist art. Should I keep yeah. going? <laughs> so I took all of them. I packed my schedule with all of them to start off with. And then I found this anthro, these anthro classes where you had to write papers, which was more my speed, because I could take my time, you know, and they didn't. They didn't make you turn it in on time. Like you just had to turn it in. And I, I became really close with um, Professor Handler, you know, Professor Crocker, like uh, all those anthro, all those old school anthro guys. 
they were real cool, man. They, and, you know, we would go down and chit-chat with them. And me, and me and Professor Handler, man, when I came back, started coaching there, he would get invited to, like, the meals. Me and him chopped it up all the time. But we, we used to take his little kids stuff, sign stuff for his kids. Like, he was one of those professors slash deans that really wanted to know who we were, too. And so by us going to see him, got talking to him, he, he kind of knew we were really good people. Man. And maybe we won't build this quite as good for this, this, the education piece or the curriculum they was given and how fast it was coming. But he knew we were hard working. We would try. And I think, I know for me, he helped me. But I think even for him, he, we helped him in some sense of just seeing and being close to you know, at that time, it was Brooks in there, it was me, it was, it was a ton of us in Anthro. And this man, like seven of us when I graduated, went across the stage from football at, at, at the Anthro graduation, and he hugged every last one of us. Wow. That's you awesome. Know, so, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was, we impacted both each other's life, which I think college, that's what college is about, man. Like, he came into our life, we came to his life, and although we probably came from totally different backgrounds or upbringings, like we we like, hey man, that's a good dude, and he's like, man, these good kids, man, you know. So, but yeah, yeah I think that's important, right? It's it's really important when you think of the makeup of a university and how who they admit, how they admit them of creating that whole culture that it doesn't happen if everyone's the same, right? If yeah. Um, but, but there's got to be a common denominator, and the common denominator that you just laid out is exactly that, good peeps, right? Yep. So he's a good person, you're a good person, your teammates are good people, the other students are good people, and when you have a group of individuals that are like-minded on that one topic, then it just helps everything else flow and makes it a better place to exist and allows you to grow, you know, in a way, like like you said, he helped you grow, but in a lot of ways, you probably helped him grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I think that's what life about, though. Like, you go you meet different people and, like, everybody comes from different stuff. But a good person, a good person, no matter what they look like, no matter what they dress like, whatever they talk like, it don't make a difference. Like, good people, just good people. And um, that's the kind of people I want to be around. I don't give a damn what they look like. Okay, so what everyone else also wants to know is, what was the connection to the imps? Look, so I see all these letters on the campus, like, like anybody, I don't tell these stuff. I mean, so you know how I'm sitting in my apartment, man. I think it was my, might've been my, it might've been my junior year. And I just got this rodeo. So it's going into my senior. I just got this rodeo, brand new. So Jenny Busick come, come to the crib. Oh my uh, God. You didn't wait. You didn't just say that name, Jenny Busick. Oh my listen, God. Love her. Crib, her. And I forget who else it was. Somebody else. They like, hey, Coach Welsh need to see you. I was, I'm living in U-Form. I'm living right across the train tracks. I'm, I'm living there. They like, hey, you got to come down to, what's the restaurant we went to? Right there on the corner. I forget. Forget the restaurant, but. The Virginian? But it's been named so many collagen. times. Collagen. Collagen. Yeah. So. They like, you got to come down to college and coach, coach Welsh down there. You got to meet with you. The NCAA said somebody gave you the car. So I'm like, that dumb as hell. Like me, I'm like, man, what y'all talking about, man? Like, no, I ain't. I, my dad put a, he signed for this car. 
Nah, they, they, they investigate me. So they get me in the car, take me down to the college gym. So I walk in there and they like, surprise. And I'm like, what the? You know, I'm like, beep, beep, beep. Man, why y'all playing with me? Because my chest was pounding. I'm like, I came this far. Now I'm going about to get, you know, because back then, like, the rules were staunch, man. You won't appealing that. You won't winning that. I'm like, I ain't going to play my season. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to cry, man. And Tiki, Rondé in there. Like, I really didn't know. And it was, I just went in and had the meeting. And I was just like, I really couldn't even enjoy it because I was all messed up over what, how they got me down there. Right, all, yeah. they say, all they had to do is say, let's go get a, a beer, man. I would have been like, all right, let's ride. Yeah, I can tell, like, I get, when looking at you, you still have a little PTSD of the uh, practical joke that they played on. Oh, you. my yeah, goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, that's why I can name who, like, Jenny. I was, she, she sold it so hard, man. I was like, what? Wait, so, Rondé and Tiki, like, who would win in a fight? Rondé. Why? Rondé got edged on. Not that Tiki don't. But Rondé, me and Rondé were roommates on the road, man. Like, you ain't messing around with Rondé like that. Like, you know, he 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 got, that's why he played 16 years, man. Still got edge. He got, you know, they very smart. They very, you know, put together. But Rondé had an edge to him that, you know, like, hey, okay, we're going to go. Oh, now, obviously, Tiki probably did. I, I wasn't in the room with Tiki every day. I was in the room with Rondé every day. Every day. Okay, and if I had you, Freddie, and Tiki in a room, who would do the best George Wells impersonation? Oh, Freddie, probably. Freddie, for sure. For sure. All right. You, yeah. you have it. You, can you? Do you have no, a George? Tiki, Tiki got that training too, though. He got that training nowadays. He might. He can do a good one too, though. Yeah, I think in my next season of the M podcast, I'm going to have like a George Welsh impersonation off. I'm going to like figure out how to, we'll get some advertisers. We'll get like Ralph Sampson to advertise it because he owns the white the white spot now. So we'll we'll figure that out for you guys. We'll figure it out. That's his spot now? Yeah. Is it still the white spot? Yeah, still the white spot. Oh, okay. Yeah, still the white spot. Oh, but still working there? <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I know, I know that uh, I, I'm pretty sure Ralph owns it, or he's part of a conglomerate yeah. that owns it, something like that. Cool. So, okay, so then um, tell us now what happened post Virginia, right? You get done. Like, w- what was the road out? Well, you know, obviously I got hurt my senior year, so that was a that was a hard deal, man. Like, you know, seven game your senior season, you come back. And the season was going just like I knew it would in my brain. Like, I could dominate the league at this point. I knew enough stuff. I was strong. I was, and you know, you get a freak freak injury that, you know, at that point I was number one safety in the country, projected first-round pick. I mean, they, people had me in, like, top 15. And, um, you know, but I'm, as I was sitting there hurt, I'm getting letters. I mean, like garbage bags of letters, man. Little kids, grown people, like writing me, like sad for you. Boom, boom, boom. Like to the point where I couldn't even read all of it. It was just so much mail, man. And 
I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, man, like, did I really have this kind of impact on the people? You know, like, obviously, they, you watch a player, but it, I must feel, they must feel attached to me. And that's all I ever wanted to do. I want people to, I, when I start playing, I was like, if I could be really good, I want people to feel like they can always touch me. Like, I don't want to be, like, up on here, like, you can't, like, I want to try to take time for anybody and everybody that I can. I don't never want to say no to people. Like, I got to sit over here because I got to be roped off because I don't want people to talk to me. Like, I don't, I don't really care. Like, I'll talk to you. You know, it make, makes no difference. Hey, you're talking to me. Look, I got you on the end podcast, right? <laughs> if that's not a man of the people, I don't know what is. Gosh. Well, so after that, so I'm, I'm, I'm you know, you're you going you gonna to cry a little bit over spilled milk a little bit early. But I mean, this was this was traumatic me, and so I had a long road to hold, like far as just coming back to rehab it, to even have a chance to play. So I couldn't sulk too much. So I was rehabbing eight hours a day, man. eight hours a day, you know, trying to get back, working back and forth, and then really one one of the the moments that really made me just say, man, you know what, you need to move the hell on, try to rehab it, and whatever happened happened. I'm at a basketball game. And a dude with no legs came. I was sitting, they had me sitting on the floor. Came down on his hands, man. I said, I feel so bad for what happened to you. And I'm looking at him like, he feel bad for me. Like, I'm at least be able to walk again, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. And it, it, that, at that moment, it dawned on me. Like, man, what the hell are you sitting in here sulking, feeling more as me? Like, you're going to be able to walk again. Like, do whatever you can to try to get this knee back. I had a million dollar insurance policy. I could have just took the money and, and just said, no, I'm good. So I said, you know what? I'm going to try to make a run at it. And fortunate enough, Baltimore called me, drafted me, seventh round. Um, actually, the owner called me. Art Modell called me, which wow. made it special. Like, you my pick. The man came to check on me every day. That I was, he was in the building. He came to check on me every day. And I won't do nothing for the organization. Nothing. I won't make no plays, no nothing. Wow. And the owner of the Baltimore Ravens coming to see me every day. And um, it was an experience that that money came by. You get you in the locker room with Ray Lewis, Shannon Sharp. I mean, listen, John Ogden. I get to play my own teammate, Jamie Sharp. You like you, you looking at the names, the list of who I played with, Peter Bowler, Dwayne Starks. Like you just go on and on. And Brandon Stokely, who's my son's godfather. Like, those two years I got in Baltimore, you came, money came by. Like, no amount of money I, I could earn could have bought them. We end up going to the Super Bowl the second year. I could play a little bit that year. And, you know, end up winning the Super Bowl ring. Which, again, only a few people on this earth got a Super Bowl ring. I mean, and whether you with the main cog of it or not, you know, and I was able to humble myself to know, like, I mean, I just, I cheer my teammates on. I won't, hell, I won't playing like Ray Lewis and, you know, Rod Woodson was the damn star and say him and Kim Hearn. Like, you know, now, if I could have been healthy, now it would have been a different deal. I just wanted to be able to contribute any way I could. And, you know, I got a chance to meet a lot of good people there, you know, play for, Marvin Lewis, played for Brian Billick, and, you know, a lot of those coaches uh, that moved on, became head coaches. And, um, 
you know, it was, it was, it was a great experience, man. They treated me really good. Man. Really, 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 really good. And I'm still, to this day, I go over to Baltimore. I recruit Baltimore. So I can go to the building. They, they take good care of me. I see them at the combine. They bring me up to the suite. They, they act like I damn did something for them. <laughs> like, yeah, any funny stories from your football days, if your pro football days? Anything um, you remember? Man, like, it was funny every day, man. That's what, like, Shannon Sharp funny, man. Like, he's just a funny person. Then we had a dude named Robert Bailey. We had a dude named Corey Harris. And they used to call Shannon Sharp. We in the stretch line, they called him, they would talk like a horse, like Mr. Ed. And they'd be clicking their heels, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was constant, man. Like, I can't, like, it's just so much stuff on a daily basis, man, it was like a com- comedy show. And we was, it was almost like a college team was built. Cause we, look, we, Lord rest his soul, we had Sir Goose there, who was like, he would be take, sitting on the toilet and he made the reporters interview him doing that, like <laughs> while he was sitting on the toilet. <laughs> look at that. Like, I, I mean, I can't even make it up. Like y'all wanna interview me? I'm in here, like <laughs> open the door. And they, like, it's like, come on, man. It, it, it was just it like dudes, you know, guys had minks on. So I remember one time we going somewhere, and Corey Harris had like this half link mink. To me, it was a mink. I ain't like I can't buy no mink. I, I mean, so he get on the bus, man. And the boys like, man, where you get that damn raccoon from? And I mean, they they was like all over his ass the whole trip. And man, we, and it was just it was all in good fun. Everybody had a hell of a time, and we won a lot of games because of that. But I mean, every day was like you could if somebody wrote a book about that, it would have been it would have been amazing, man. Been amazing. And then, so uh, what was the uh, end of it? So when? How did it end? So after we won the Super Bowl, we come back for what they call uh, OTAs or whatever. Now, um, I'm in training camp. Well, and in, in, in back then they were called um, whatever they was called, but. We, I, I was in, I was feeling better. I still want the same player, nowhere near. And this, this is like, I'm in a seven o'clock meet. The dude, the, the, the Turk came and got me. Dude, the cut people, bring your playbook. So I go up to Ozzy Newsom's office. He's like, man, you've done a great job for us, but we letting you go. And I'm like, so I call my agent. I'm like, I just got cut. I go home. My wife, I'm like, and look, I was sad, but it was reality for me. Like, I want the same play. Like, I could I could sit there and lie to myself and say, man, you, you, like, man, it's a business. Like, now that I coach, it's even, even clearer to me. Like, I couldn't believe it, now that I coach, how they let me stay for two years. Right, right. Isn't that interesting that you don't, because you're still a kid playing a kid's game. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's a business side to it that, that now I know how special the people in Baltimore are to allow me to stay for two years and even attempt to rehab this knee. Right. To even attempt, you know, and um, so then I get cut. Then I go to, I go to Cleveland, man. Cleveland called, picked me up, said they want me to try out for, um, <laughs> for, the, for you know, to see if I can just make the team for training camp. I go up there and do a, a one-person workout by myself. And if you ain't never been to one of these workouts, man, they, they kill you. 
especially because I play DB, like you run off. Man, they like they they drug me in the ground. And the dude was like, you know what? We're gonna let you practice with us. So I had to sign a form that waived any liability to him if I got hurt. I practiced with them, they signed. They signed. And then, so I'm on that team. I make it all the way to the last cut. All the way to the last final cut. I really make it through the cut. Then somebody got released somewhere else. Bush Davis picked him up. I get cut. Scott Frost was basically the guy that got me cut. Wow. The head coach at uh, Nebraska, who, who we became good buddies. Became good buddies. And then, like, that that fall, so that season went, then, like, towards the end of, towards the end of that season, I went and worked out for the Carolina Panthers, the Denver Broncos, Buffalo Bills. I went to the Detroit Lions. They all flew me in. I failed the physical at all of them. And, you know, because they were trying to see if they want to sign me for Detroit. I get up at four in the morning. I failed a physical by 435, and they just sent me home. Flew me right back out. Oh Didn't even get God. to work out for them. So I'm sitting out in California with my wife and her folks living there. And I got a call from Al Grove, man. Well, really, I got a call from Al Golden. He's like, man, you want a GA? I'm like, yeah. Like, he said, like, Coach Grove looking for guys that want to play there that want a GA. I said, all right. So I called Coach Grove. I said, Coach, I need, like, three months. I'm out here trying to make it back in the league. He's like, all right, you take your time. But I knew I had a doctor's appointment coming up. My, my back was messed up. Like, my legs were going numb every time I would drive or sit down for a long period of time. So I get this. I go to the doctor. I get the report back. I got a bulging disc in my back. I looked at my wife. I said, this is it. I'm done. I'm retiring. I ain't, I ain't trying to do it no more. And that's how I got into coaching. I called Coach Grove. He flew me in in June. I sat down with him. Talked with him for, like, 45 minutes to an hour. Like, man, I want to put you on the staff. He started me coaching out, man. Taught me how to coach. So then take us through that. So you, what's that path look like to where you're at now? So I, I he gave me the job in June. I show up in July. I'm the weight coach. So I'm like a GA in the weight room. I'm a grad assistant in the weight room. So look, I ain't even like lifting weights. But I'm like, all right, like this, this is cool. Like I do this because he was like, I got to put you in the weight room. The spot will open at the end of the season to bring you up to be a GA on. Like I'm thinking defense, but so I would go work in the weight room, then go up in at, when I wanted in the weight room and sit in on defense meetings, just try to learn what's going on. So we get through training camp. We play game one. The strength coach ups and quits, man. Like resigns, like got married, wife don't want him to do it no more. So Coach Grove calls me into the office, like, hey man, you're gonna be the liaison to the weight room. <laughs> I never forget, I look at him, I say, Coach, what the hell is the damn liaison, man? That's like that? that's like the interim tag, right? Like, I'm like, what the hell is the liaison? He like, you're gonna be the communication from the weight room to me. You running it. I'm like, what? I said, Coach, now, again, let me reiterate. 
I did not lift weights, coach. I hated lifting weights. I, I'm not like the guy. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, you can do it. You're going to run the stretch. You're going to do, they're going to report to you. You're going to report to me. <laughs> he said, the other guys going to run it, do all the technical stuff. So I'm like, all right, man. All right. Yeah, I got you, coach. So I'm running the weight room. I'm running the stretch. I'm out there blowing the whistle like, you stress, you see, if you went to any game or sport and you see the team warming up, that was me. Like, I had no clue. Luckily, you, you, I, so you were like the Ted Lasso, the weight room. You were like, yeah. basically, you had a smart guy right next to you, okay? And they're like, okay, we're going to take the authoritative, good-looking, scary guy, and we're going to make him the liaison, okay? And But then, but all everyone knows it's the smart guy who's standing next to you who's like dorky, all of like, like two feet tall and no muscle, like, right? He's guys, going they, were, they, were, they were running the way. I was just like, quote unquote, I'm a GA though, man. Like, You're I'm the a, figurehead. You're the figurehead. Yeah. But I'm in school, man. I'm, I'm a kid. Like, I don't know what I'm doing in here. So I end up doing that. And so the first road trip, I'm like, all right, coach. So I, all the other guys, like, you at least bring one or two of them with me, right? They're like, nah, you're the only one tribe. You're like, make sure you get all the stuff that, we supposed to have. So I'm like, what the hell are we supposed to have? Like, you know, all of the energy drinks. So I literally go into the closet. Nobody got a sheet of paper like this is what we normally bring. Like, I go in the closet. I just start dumping stuff into this trash, like into this little bin. Have no clue, no count, number count. I'm like, I I rolled it out to the damn equipment dude. I said, I guess it's man, I guess it's what we're supposed to have. And that was my introduction to college coaching. I did that for one semester. So in the December, coach, I'm thinking I'm going to defense. He said, hey, look, you're going to be the offensive GA. You're going to coach the wide receivers. So I go to offense, which I had no clue about. Had nothing. He taught me all of that. Then, so I do that for a full year. It's like from December to December. I'm about to go to Akron. I got offered a job at Akron. We playing Pittsburgh in the bowl game. The coordinator for Pittsburgh, the offensive coordinator for Pittsburgh, just got the Akron head job. I got the Akron job because a guy that was an AD at Virginia was the AD at Akron. We played Akron at the beginning of the year. And he was like, man, look, man, I'm, a, we gonna, I'm coming to get you. And I'm like, okay. Sure enough, man. He, he he interviewed like three dudes. All three called me. Was wanted me on the staff. Like we heard a lot of good things about it. So um, I think the dude name was Burkhart that got the job. So I'm thinking I'm going to Akron. So all the coaches on the road, me and my wife in the office, they was on the road recruiting before we go into the bowl game. So me and my wife be bopping down the hallway. Coach Gross said, hey, Dax, that's you? I said, yes, sir, coach. He said, your wife with you? I said, yes, sir. He said, come in, come in. He's like, you want a job? I'm like, yeah, love to have one coach. He's like, you got one. Wow. Shook his hand. Wow. Thanked him. I didn't even know what the job was. Didn't matter. <laughs> He's like, Man, you ain't got to look. Don't worry about it. You good. And I come back in January. So we play the bowl game, blah, blah, blah. Come back in January. He's like, you're going to be the running back coach. Another position. I like I ain't played running back since literally. My God. Taught me how to coach it. And like I owe my career to coach. 
like whether how people feel about him, you know, at Virginia, like this dude taught me, took the time. He saw something in me. He developed me. He showed me how to do it. He, he just, he didn't walk, he walked me through it. Kept giving me, like he gave me the head strip codes to put me in front before I even knew I was ready to be in front. Like, Let me you know, ask you this question. Is that like, think about like head coaches today. Do they have that sort of, you have so much diversity in the positions that you've coached. Is that normal or do guys usually just stay in one lane, like at least on one side of the ball? Well, it all depends. Was a lot of guys do. Um, like I said, I was fortunate that I was with a head coach that he saw a quality in me and he knew exactly what I played, but he kept putting me in positions where I was more uncomfortable than comfortable which made me grow. Like if I had went to defense right away, start coaching the secondary right away, like I would have been in a comfort zone. Like I was very out of my comfort zone in every job he gave me, the first four jobs he gave me, I was out of my comfort zone every last one of them. I mean, think about that, right? That's what I'm saying. Like there are probably not a lot of places you could go that the head coach would say, oh yeah, I'm gonna take this guy who take this guy who I see this potential in and I'm going to just put him in these various positions that I need a leader in, but will help him grow his coaching style and philosophy. I mean, it's way different when you coach, like you could be like, let's say a head coach that you've been like a position coach in four different positions, even though like the weight room, think about that. Like how many coaches at the, that level like ran the weight room, like probably none. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I just think he he was willing to take a chance. Like, and, and probably if you watch Parcells and Belichick, I think he that's just how he grew up. Somebody gave, they give people chances, young people chances and put them in positions like that's really uncomfortable and they just train them how to do it. I think this day and age is harder for coach a head coach to do that just because of the demand to win right now. I don't have time to train a guy to be a coach. Right. Plus the criticism that comes along with it, right? The criticism, the social media, like, like coach, coach, like you'd have been, I mean, you think about the positions he put me in, like if Twitter and all that stuff was really up and running at that point, I mean, he would have been probably getting hammered. They'd crucify him, crucify him. Yeah, because I wasn't really ready to recruit. I won't, I mean, there's a lot of things, but he knew I would work, though. That's right. what, the, I didn't come back as the former player. That's what a lot of people thought it was. I did not do that. I humbled myself. I said, listen, coach, I told everybody, look, I said, look, if it's my job to get up at four in the morning, get everybody coffee, put two creams in this one, one cream in that one, a sugar in that one, look, man, just tell me. I ain't no damn mind reader, but all y'all got to tell me, man. Right. That's awesome. Like, I'm good. Like, I ain't, I ain't God. Like, I am I know how to work, man. I, I've been working my whole life. I grew up a landscape, a hog farm. So, y'all, you just got to tell me what you need to do. I ain't no time early. Like, I get up at the crack of dawn. It don't make no difference to me. But I just need to know what to do. Y'all don't have to tiptoe around me. Oh, this dude played it. Like, I'm here to try to coach, man. And I think Coach Gross saw that I was there to try to coach. I won't try to be back living my glory, you know, and um, it just kind of, 
it worked out, man. I, I'm grateful for him. I'm, I'm I, I, all man. I owe him everything I got. Everything. So, I got. so what happened when you when did you leave Virginia and what did that path look like? So the last year, Coach Rowe coached at Virginia, 09. He moved me to the secondary coach for the first time. So I coached the whole secondary for him. So that was my start of being a defensive back coach. So I got in the game in 02. I never touched the defensive side of the ball until 09. Um, then when Coach London came, Coach London said, hey, look, man, I want you to be the special teams coordinator, safety coach. So that was my first time being like a true coordinator. Again, now, Mike London, again, like he, he, again, like I've been blessed, man. Like, dude, and me and Mike had worked together at Virginia twice before he came back to be the head coach. But he put me in charge of the special team, which I ain't never done. Like, I had been like the co-coordinator, like help dude out, but I won't like the main guy. So I ended up doing that for three years for Mike. My last year, there, I just did the safeties. And then I get a call from Bob Diaco, who, who I worked with under Al Grove. He got the head job at Connecticut. He said, hey, man, I want you to be my defense coordinator. I did not really want to leave Charlottesville. I, I really didn't. I mean, my mom and dad an hour away. My in-laws had moved to Charlottesville. My kids were little. My kids was comfortable. My oldest was getting ready to go to high school. I made up every reason to stay. My wife looked at me and said, like, if you ever going to kind of try to advance in this business, you're going to have to leave. Right, especially right. this. You had to. She was right. She was totally right. Yeah, like, like especially like for this job. Like, dude, wants you to be his coordinator. And again, I had to get out of my comfort zone. Like, so I left to go to Connecticut. Was a coordinator there for three years. I get a call out of the blue when I'm at Connecticut from Jeff Brown out at Purdue, who I did not know. Didn't know him. He walked right by me. He could have slapped the hell out of me. I would have never known who it was. Didn't know nobody on the staff, nobody. Had no connection to him. Calls me up, say, man, would you be interested in coming out here being my co-coordinator? I'm like, yeah, coach. All right, what you got? So we talked like two or three times on the phone. Dude hired me all over the phone. Wow. I fly out there like January, right after the new year. That was the first time I'd ever met the man face to face. First time I ever seen him, met him, did anything. Wow. So I was there for four years. And then, you know, I've been knowing Coach Franklin for a long time. Um, and I got the opportunity to come here and, you know, good thing for me. So me and my wife, we decided to move out here. So my daughter graduated from UConn. So I got her through high school in U at UConn. Which I promise them all, like I'll try to get you, I'll get you through high school at a spot. I don't move around. My son graduated from West Lafayette, Indiana. And when I moved him, he was in the ninth grade. So he was going into the ninth. So he got a chance to finish. And then now I got my little Chloe there. And she's 16. She got two more years. And so we'll see, man. You know? So that's that's it's been my journey in coaching, man. It's been been a hell of a ride, man. What's it like uh, coaching in that environment? It's uh, insane, right? Especially game day. It's like yeah, it's crazy. Like I, like I tell like recruits or people I talk to, like I've been in the pros. And I played the Super Bowl game. I ain't never seen an environment like this. 
And I've been in some hostile, I haven't played in Texas. I haven't played in Auburn. I haven't played, you know, I've played across, I've played some Michigan. I've, I mean, this whiteout game was more electric than anything I've ever been a part of. Like, it was crazy. It was, it's way worth the price of admission. And you don't get to experience the tailgate. The tailgate is, I've oh. been to, man, that yeah. is special. Super special. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, you just, like, the game at late, at nighttime. So, I mean, we have a staff meeting at, like, 7.30 in the morning. And we're riding the buses over to the hotel where the team at. And it's, I mean, RVs. I mean, it looked like the game about to start at 12. That's how many people moving around, tailgating going on. I mean, it's crazy. It's, 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 the, it's the damnest thing I've ever seen, man. And, you know, I'm just, I'm, hell, I'm, I keep pinching myself now that I'm a part of it, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. So I guess if you, you know, are in the coaching ranks long enough, you start to say, okay, you start to look for a head coaching job, right? Because that's just the natural progression. And probably good head coaches realize that they're, you know, they're coordinators. You want to move them to that spot because that's just, that's a mark of excellence that, you know, hey, I was able to take my guys, bring them through the system, and they went on to be head coaches other places. Right. Is, that, is that kind of the gist of how it works? You know what, Tom? I, I, the whole time I've been in this business, and, and a lot of people think I'm crazy, all I've done is work for the guy I'm working for. Never look for a job, never call a person about a job. I just work for the person I'm working for, which that's just me. Like, I'm not a I, I'm not a guy that want to change a lot. So, like December in our business, December, January, February, it's like crazy. Like it's always calls, it's always something going on. It's like it's a carousel of moving and coaching. And I, I'm like, clammy. Like I'm, my phone ringing. I'm, I'm like, oh god, who is this call? Now it's gonna be a time that I'm, a, I'm gonna need the phone to ring. So I'm not an idiot. Like, I, like we all gonna get fired. We all get hired at times, you know. So, um, but I just take it day by day, man. I'm not chasing. I, I don't know. I, I can't say I'm chasing something. All I want to do is do right by the kids I'm coaching. Be with a winning program. Be with people to treat my family right. Because I had all the accolades and pats on the back as a player. I'm not chasing that. I don't need to have cameras in my face. I don't need to have people pat me on my back. I really don't need it. I, I like to coach the kid. And the biggest pats I get when they call me when I'm done with them. Or they call me when I'm coaching them and they know I care for them. You know, like, like we had like three or four. Like I got players all over. They calling my wife on her birthday. Like I know I'm doing something right. I got two kids named after me. That's amazing. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. And there's no better high that you could get than that type of accolade. That's the best accolade when you think that, about it. And that's what, like, and I never set out for that to happen either. I'm just like, man, what the hell? Like, I just want to treat the kid right, do right by him, embark some of the wisdom I'd have had over through my playing days and what I'd have seen through my, my lens for 46 years I've been living to them. And Hopefully that they can help move them to what their goals, their aspirations are. Like it ain't got nothing to do with me. Like I tell the guy, I ain't made a damn tackle in 25 years, man. Like, what <laughs> what I mean, I had that kid Briscoe last year, man, it was second round pick. So, like, so let me ask you the question. When because you do get the calls, right? Like this happens to every coach at a major program. So 
like, let's say you get a phone call from University of whatever, Alaska, whatever. I'm just making something up there. Right. Like, you know, East Jebet, let's call it, right? What's the process? Is it a phone interview first? And then they bring you out? Like, what? how does that work? You mean for head job? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you go and if, like, let's say you're an offensive coordinator, right? And, or defense court, doesn't matter. Just, I'm just thinking about the process. And someone's considering you for a head coaching job. Right. So how does that work? What's the chain of events that happen? Well, I, I think they're all different nowadays. I mean, I can't really speak on it. I, I mean, I've had a couple of calls, but they all been different. So, I mean, now they Zoom up in the live, like some people Zoom, then they got to get you in person. Then they got to like it's everything different. Like then some people go through the search firm. So then they talk to your agent. Then all I mean, so I think for the head coach, it's definitely going to be in person sooner or later. Um, how many people they want you to talk to, who knows? But I think it's all different. But like for coordinators and stuff like that, I've been placed where, like I said, like Jeff Brown just called me on the phone, say, hey, man, I want you to come out here. Like, okay. Like, no formal interview to get, like, out so, of And so is the, is the first point of contact through an agent or is it direct? What, what would well, be I, like? I, the- I, what, almost a year and a half ago. So everything was direct to me. Right. I mean, it won't nothing to negotiate. It's either I'm going or I ain't. Like, I didn't, like, over the over the years when I ain't got calls, I'm like, look, man, I ain't interested. Right. Or I'm interested. But it won't nothing to go back and tell my head coach, give me more money. No. Like, it was like, either I was going to be interested, I won't be. Count for me, I don't believe in wasting people's time. And my dad told me a long time ago, a man going to pay you what he think you worth. So... Now, that's probably dumb in the business I'm in. Like, you should probably tell them every time you get, because then they think somebody won't. Like, but I'm not playing that game. Like, I told my kids one thing. I'm not going to move you until you graduate. Like, once we move from Charlottesville to settle their brain that I'm going to move every two years and be all across, like, have them. I said, listen, if you start a high school, I'm going to get you through the high school. I was able to do it with my oldest. I was able to do it with my, my son, and I'm going to be able to do it no matter what happened at the end of this year or whatever happened. She'll stay here, my wife will stay here, and get her through her last year of high school. Like, I'm not moving her and saying, like, you're going to go to your senior year somewhere else. I'm not, I'm just not doing it. So I didn't try to be consistent that way with my family. So when I'm making moves, it's based on them. And, and, and you know, and my, me and my wife, we'll talk. Like career-wise, is it a good move or is it not a good move? But sometimes, I mean, I don't, I don't probably pass up on some hellified career move. That would yeah, been- you know. But I, what I found is when you have your way of doing things, whether that's at home or on the field or in the locker room, that they all have to be in sync, right? Yeah. Because if you're not in sync at home then it's not, you're, you're not going to be in sync in the locker room. Right. So I, I, I think that's awesome. Right. Like you have your way of doing it. You say, look, I'm not going to move you out of your high school. And you know what? Like when you operate like that, the right things come in your path, right? Because you're, you're receptive to the things that you should be receptive to and you're not receptive to the things that you shouldn't be. Yeah. And, and again, like, like I say, man, if, if I was chasing something, other than happiness and development for you. Well, it would be different. Like, do I want to get paid? Yes, I like getting paid. Yeah, hell yeah, I want to go back to, you know, 
Um, but at the same time, like I, I'm not going to sacrifice my kids' mental health, my wife's mental health for me just trying to be like, pat my chest, look at me, look at me. Like I had my moment in the sun. I'm good. Like I had my moment. I ran its course, you know, and then like, you know, this past year I had a flashback, a moment in the sun. Cause I, I went in the hall of fame, the college football hall of fame. Then I went in the Virginia state hall of fame. Right. And we got to enjoy those moments with, me. but that's it. Like I'm, we don't, we don't, now if something come up and we get a chance or opportunity to do something and we all in line with doing it, well, we'll do it. Like, but it's just not like I don't go on my pillow every night saying, man, I got to be a head coach in five years or I got to be a head coach in two years or one year. No, I'm just going to do a good job. And if somebody come knocking at the door, well, I'm always going to look at an opportunity, but I ain't going to just close the door. But, you know, it, it got to be right for me. What was it like? What was it like spending some time down in Charlottesville again? Was it very surreal for you to be back there when you were kind of like, you know, like n- not like right when you graduated and not right after the NFL when you were down there just visiting? How was what did that feel like for you? Oh, man, it, it, like we love Charlottesville. My, my kids, my kids think that's home for them. They, they live most of their young life in Charlottesville. Like my oldest daughter, I moved her there when we was three. My son was six months. And she was in the ninth grade when we left. My son was in the sixth grade. So, like, they, the baby, she was born in 06. So, she still was there almost seven, eight years. Like, that's home for them. You know, um, we love the place. We love the area. Like, what ain't that? What's not to love about Charlottesville? No, you awesome. get every food you want. You, you know, um, it's just, I, I love, like, look, man, look what UVA has done for me. Like, people watching this podcast, we all VA people. Like, you look back and you say, man, look what the school has done for you, or look what it's done for this person. Like, I'm just looking at what it's done for me. And look, man, I, I, like, everybody know I love my school and I do anything for it. And it's just because of the opportunities that it afforded me and my family. You know, and even with me being able to go back there and coach for 12 years, man. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, you go, you, I was able to go home and coach for 12 years. That's like, awesome. And I said, I, quite honestly, when I left Charlottesville to go to Connecticut, I had lived in Charlottesville as long as I had lived in my, where I, my birthplace, Forest, Virginia. Crazy. It's awesome. Great. It's crazy. Well, you know, uh, Ted Jeffries wanted me to ask you if you were a Bodos fan. I, I, I was not a Bodos fan as a student. Now that I'm married and my palate changed, my wife changed my palate. I love a good Bodos baby. Okay. And, and so tell me what's your go-to Bodos order when you're down there? Turkey, bacon, lettuce, tomato, mustard, cheese, um, salt and pepper and my, my mayo on there on a everything bagel and everything bagel you see that makes sense everything bagel yeah, it's got Ted, the taste to it. yeah I'll, I'll talk to you offline and share share with you what uh, Ted's bagel is it's repulsive and I don't want to say it in public <laughs> so you know he always likes me to ask all of our friends what they oh. what their bagel is so I'll report back to him that you're a normal guy and you like normal stuff yeah. and 
mean, take the most like 15 obscure things on the menu and try to put them into one thing. (laughs) And that's like the Ted Jeffrey special, right? So cool, man. All right. So message to Imp Nation and the Imps of today, what would you say? What are your words of wisdom? My only words of wisdom, man, like, be happy, man. I guess, like, people find ways to be damn sad. I don't understand it. Like, I'm trying to drive this into my kids' mind. You look around. There's so many people, in my opinion, that's worse off than you. Or have a worse situation than you. Like, be happy for what you got, what you got going on. And just live life, man. Life precious, man. I just had, a, you know, one of our teammates, uh, John Duckett, who played at Virginia. He just brought his son last month to my camp at Penn State. His son just got killed two days ago. Oh, God. That's heavy. I, like, I'm like, man, like, life too precious, man. We sitting around here worrying about this, worrying about that. Don't give a damn what somebody else got, man. Be happy for their blessings. You be happy for your blessings. And look, man, like, cause life too short. It's too short. I'm watching it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm as I'm getting older, you know, you watching your parents get older, which is hard. So hard. You know, it, it's it's hard, but but I'm thinking to myself like, why be sad, man? Like, and I don't know, like. I've been forcing enough to be able to do some things and, and afford some things for my kids and my wife that I won't never afford it. But I'm like, look, if we you can afford all this shit, all this material shit. If you unhappy, man, it means nothing. Well, you know, it's funny. It's uh, you saying that is a lot more powerful because you're an educator. Right. When you're a coach, you're just an educator. It's just exactly. coaching is code for educator. You're not, yeah. you know, and probably if you're an educator, you're probably a coach too, if you kind right. of think about it like that. So, like, it's interesting. You're around kids each and every day. That's what you do for a living. You're not only dealing with the ones that are with you in college, but I'm sure you're on the road meeting high school prospective folks. And at the end of the day, your word of wisdom is be happy. Right. It's so simple, but like you just said, not so front of mind for a lot of folks. No, everything got to be heavy. Right. Everything got to be so damn heavy, man. Like it ain't this damn hard. No. And I I got it. You got to have work. You got to have whatever. Like even in our profession, it's a game, man. It's a game. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. I'm super happy that I had you on. Let me just tell everybody, I reached out to you and you like ping me right back. You're saying, yeah, (laughs) sure. And then like all the volatility hit in the world, right? So we had to postpone it a little bit, but then we put it back on the calendar. It was like the easiest thing in the world to get to you and to get you on. That just says something about your character. Um, It says something about your feelings for Virginia and your respect for your classmates, not only the ones that were on the field with you, but all the others. And oh. so I just wanna let you know how much I appreciate you, how much fun I had with you. This is great. And thank you, thank you, thank you just for being you. I appreciate it, Tom, man. I, I, look, I missed it. I missed the place. I missed, you know what? I missed our times back then. It was some of the greatest 
it, no, and let me tell you, it was the greatest years of my life. Like, just, it was so much fun, so much, just, I learned so much there. I learned who I was really as a person, you know, and just got to meet a lot of good people, man. A lot of good people. Dex, AP, Anthony, Poindexter, you are the man. Thanks for being on with us. It was awesome hanging with you, my man. All right, Tom. I'll talk to you, buddy. All right. Take care. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing. Don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense. C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.